that's not a drink. It's liquid sex. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we are a trio of hootie tootie disco cuties. My name is Shahir Dan. And this is the only podcast about movies. Uh, specifically the film this week. Can't believe I'm finally saying it. The Greasy Strangler. Shahir, uh, you said trio, my friend. I did say trio because we... Uh, well, first off, this movie has been requested several times over by my favorite listener on the show, Baby Dread on Twitter. Uh, and, 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 and he did exactly the thing which I asked for, which was that he gave us a very specific set of reasons to, to review this film. He wrote us a very detailed email. And so in response to that, I thought it was important that we have a guest on this show, particularly a guest who might know a thing or two about horror comedy. And the person we brought on was Matt Bronsdorf. Hello, everybody. Hey, Matt. Hello, hello. How are you? I am good. I'm your resident bullshit artist. <laughs> bullshit artist. <laughs> bullshit artist. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to see this film. Matt, you are a writer, director, cinematographer, editor, um, primarily for Comedy Central, but I've been uh, trolling through your website for the last week. Uh, fantastic short films. Uh, my particular favorite is John the Carpenter, which uh, which, uh, which is uh, ironic because you're wearing a John Carpenter t-shirt right now. We're talking about horror comedy, which I think John I Carpenter, uh, not necessarily the comedy side of it, but definitely... Uh, in in the vein of the Greasy Strangler. Yeah, uh, and I would uh, call it apropos, uh, not, not, not exactly uh, ironic, <laughs> the, the shirt choice. It's good. I love that shirt. That shirt has got, my buddy actually has that same shirt, and when every bar we've ever been to ever, like we get free drinks based on that shirt. Excellent. It's, well, I, yeah. I, I screwed up because I actually wore my David Cronenberg from the Fly shirt yesterday, uh, and then I watched the Greasy Strangler, I'm like, ah, crap. Oh, really? wore that one today? <laughs> oh, you think, waited? You, you, think, uh, you think the Greasy Strangler is more Cronenberg than Carpenter? I think the Greasy Strangler is more the fly yeah. than anything Carpenter's done. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Where it's the intention is to to get you unsettled with the grotesque. If you had a John Waters t-shirt, I think I might have gone. I might have uh, I might have bought that a little more. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but no, but tell us about your you're uh, a fantastic filmmaker and so I, I really enjoy your work and and but you have this sort of uh, I think kind of a, a specific interest in genre but genre you know like turning genre into comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know like what 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 uh, kind of films do you kind of gravitate towards or what kind of sparked your interest in filmmaking? Um, what sparked my interest in filmmaking was I don't know. I I I go. I personally go to the movies purely for escapism. Yeah. Um. And I. It's weird because I actually had this conversation with my uncle. Uh. In the past week. Uh. The earliest memory of something that like truly blew my mind that really made me think like oh I want to do something like this was the first time I saw Army of Darkness. Yes. At, at my cousin's birthday party, I remember seeing it and having never I'd never seen a movie like that where the, just a, an amalgam of so many different genres and different time settings. Um, and then I like recounted the whole thing to my parents, and I remember my mother being like, "Oh, please stop talking about this movie." And then my father <laughs> was not a huge fan of. Oh, that's a low buck movie. My dad. Oh, would say. really? <laughs> a, low a low buck. buck? Movie. Yeah, I don't think he understood what low budget. So ah. he just was like, "Low buck. It's low buck. I don't want to watch it." Sorry that my dad is becoming Trump right now. It's not like that. At all. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So uh, as a as a filmmaker myself, yeah, I try to make stuff that isn't. Uh, slice of life. Okay. So I like horror comedy because, you know, I, I like to laugh and yeah. I also like to uh, put all your cards on the table, so to speak, as a filmmaker. Right. I feel like genre filmmaking demands that the cinematographer and the director and, you know, everybody on the crew involved has to bring something that isn't subtle. Right. And I'm not a subtle person. Right. Uh, I this this t-shirt today is about as subtle as I get. I have I have a lot more stuff that is living life out loud so to speak. Yeah. Um 
so yeah, when I when I make movies, it's always like, okay, what's what what can I do to heighten this that much further? And that, of course, lends itself to comedy, especially sketch comedy, because that's what it's all about. You start someplace small, yeah. and then you build to the most extreme version of what you're looking at. You're also you're also having a direct like unlike uh, sort of non-genre films, you have a direct one-to-one relationship with the audience. You're trying to yes. get a reaction yes. out of the audience. You're trying to like get them to to actually respond to the material you got. And I mean, in that respect, like have you know like what. For me, as a filmmaker, you know, like seeing seeing my film in front of an audience is kind of a big deal. I mean, and you play a lot of your work plays online. Have you kind of had that? Have you ever had that? Have you had that moment where you've managed to see it in front of an audience and they've gotten the response that you've exactly tried to get? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, seeing John the Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, with uh, my last three shorts that I I made, all thankfully were uh, accepted to a few festivals, so I yeah. got to see them in different audiences in different environments. Uh, my last two were romantic comedies. Right. Totally different than, right. than the stuff that I normally gravitate yeah. towards. Um, and the nice thing about why, you know those shorts and getting to see those with an audience is you go in nervous, like, oh, God, I don't know if this is funny. This might be just too sweet. Yeah. And people might not enjoy it. And then you're like, oh, they're laughing at things that I didn't expect anybody yeah. to laugh at. Yeah. Um, there's uh, one moment in my last short, uh, Uber X, where one of the characters... Uh, mispronounces Mumbai. Yeah. And he says Mumbai. Yeah. And there's a there's a back and forth where the guy's like, no, it's it's Mumbai. Yeah. No, Mumbai, bro. Yeah. And the last uh, last year we played at the New Hampshire Film Festival with that. Yeah. We had an audience member who followed us. Well, like we kept seeing him at different <laughs> events and different screenings. And across the room he'd be like, Mumbai, Mumbai, Mumbai. <laughs> you had your call back. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, potato, 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 potato. Yeah. Is that what potato. I, I don't even know. It, it didn't even sound. I, I don't know. Well, well that, again, that's a reference to the Greasy yeah, Strangler. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so had you heard of this film before, The Greasy Strangler? I had not. Uh, you even heard not. of it? Knew anything about it? Nothing? Uh, in, with this filmmaker, the only thing that I'd heard of before this was the ABCs of Death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and we would is it something that you would kind of be in your wheelhouse of something to see? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not something that I would. Uh, I wouldn't often have the chance to watch it. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it is something that you have to watch with a group. I watched it last night by myself. <laughs> yeah. Same. Um, but yeah, me, I, I, me, and my friends from college who. We all still are friends. We still, you know, we we came from uh, college. We moved to the city. One of my best friends actually lives below me. Right. So all the weird stuff I typically end up watching with him. You didn't feel like the you should knock downstairs and say, "Hey, come up." No, he was already in bed. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I, otherwise, I absolutely would have been like, "Hey, Dave, we got to check this thing out." Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the whole like this is a film that you should watch with other people because that was my initial reaction too, and I was hoping that someone else would actually have. That uh, experience, I guess we all did. Did we all watch this movie by ourselves? Yeah, by ourselves in our underwear on the couch. Yep. Well, wait, no, no, you didn't need that. Detail. No, well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I made the very unfortunate mistake of having a slice of pizza while oh. I was watching. Oh. You know what I had? Salmon. But let's not talk oh. about what we were eating while yeah. we were watching this film. Uh, do you think, as far as just you know, being uh, a person that enjoys the deep dive into sort of um, into uh, horror comedy in particular, do you think that that is a genre that, and and rarely would I even ask this question, but that that, that really lives and dies sort of by the audience experience itself. Like, I, I feel like watching this movie alone versus watching it with a group of people, a la, like, The Room, even even though that's not mm-hmm. horror, but, like, something, or, or even Rocky Horror, or something like that, is a, such a different thing. Do you think, like, 
Do you think that this is the type of genre of film that that absolutely needs that experience, or do you think that there's something that we can all learn by ourselves? Uh, I would for for this one in particular, yes, I'm sure the Greasy Strangler would have been way more enjoyable if I was watching it with my friends. But I think the difference between the Greasy Strangler and the Room is the Greasy Strangler. I think is made by as far as I can tell, after one movie, a very talented filmmaker right. who has a really good eye. Yeah. Like, uh, I, yes, it's grotesque, yes, it's funny, but also, like, there's a lot of filmmaking things that I admired about it that I could appreciate watching it by myself. Right. I didn't laugh out loud as much as maybe I would have. Yeah. I did spend most of the movie going, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that would have been more fun as a communal experience, but uh, I, I think this is the the, the rare occasion where You've got a filmmaker who's trying to do some stuff and it works on its own if you don't have you know, if you don't have people around, it still works. Yeah. 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 And my last thing, I just wanted to say you had your story about uh Army of Darkness being the film that you that, that sort of like clicked that off. Yeah. No matter if it was a low buck film or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's 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 again, I'm sorry to keep gushing over the shirt and, and even John the Carpenter short, but the uh, the movie that, that did that for me was Escape from New York, nice. uh, which just literally got me into the entirety of of where I am sort of uh, professionally. So like, I, I 100% can relate to the watching a thing and being like, wait, people made that. Wait, I, I could make something like yeah. that. Like, it's very, very cool. Do you guys think that there are kids out there that might have watched The Greasy Strangler and decided to become filmmakers? Uh, oh, <laughs> sure. Do you think their kids are watching The Greasy Strangler? I really, I think kids are watching The Greasy Strangler. I mean, Strangler. teenagers yeah. are definitely yeah, watching I, The I, Greasy I, Strangler. You, you've got, there's definitely like the 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 10 to like 14 year old range that are watching this when their parents aren't around. And this is how old that I am. I was just like, oh man, they're hiding that VHS tape. It's like, wait, no, shit, no, don't say that out loud. Like, they're literally just downloading this or streaming it off of Prime, no, which I, it's free on. I feel like this would make actually make like a good collector's VHS, right? Yeah, like, this and would be... I, I guarantee next time I go to Comic Con, there's going to be you know VHS yeah. copies of the Greasy Strangler. Yeah. Um, I, j just to jump back real quick, uh, so Escape from New York was for you the John Carpenter yeah. movie. For me, it was Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. That was right. the first John Carpenter movie I saw, and that is also not too dissimilar from Army of Darkness in that when I saw it for the first time, I was like, I didn't know that you could blend those genres together and right. make it work. And, you know, it's just the goal of both that and Army of Darkness is let's go as bonkers as we can to be as entertaining as possible. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. Again, Army of Darkness, you have that great moment with your father. Uh, with uh, Big Trouble in Little China, I always had this memory of really, like, loving that movie and my father showing me that movie and mm -hmm. being like, whatever. And then I, we actually did one week. I came home and I, me and my dad did a review of it for this podcast. Really? He did not remember showing me the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's that moment where you're like, oh, not every special moment for me was special for you. Yeah. And well, I was it's, like, oh. It's like that line from the classic film Street Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> for you, it was the most <laughs> important day of your life. life. But for, for me, me, it was Tuesday. Yeah, most important. Oh, I, you know, Rob what Julia. I just, what I just remember uh, or wondered right now, and maybe it's a difference of location, is for me, it wasn't Big Trouble in Little Child. It was, it was uh, The Golden Child. Which is the Eddie Murphy, you know, Chinatown sure. vehicle. And I wonder if it was just like that's the movie I got instead of Big Trouble in Little China. I'd seen Big Trouble in Little China, but I didn't I I didn't respond to it that well. But then having something with Eddie Murphy in it was kind of, you know, like I was all, all, yeah. all yeah, about yeah. that. Um, so we are excited to do um, um, the Greasy Strangler. Uh, I think Baby Dread's name uh, is appropriate entirely in this case because we I, I have to admit. We did dread doing this one a little bit. Wait, right? I mean, a little. I mean, well, because I, I don't. You were, you were, you were. I was like, I don't really want to do this. And and baby dread, choose Shahir's credit, real straight up. Let's talk to the one listener as we often do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the he was 
just a hundred percent insistent on doing this, and it was because of the format of the way you wrote in. Uh, it was you, you presented lots of different reasons consistently about why we should do it, uh, and then I went back and read them, and I sort of I sort of started uh, coming around to it, but I didn't want to do it. Uh, what did you hear about the? Uh, about I had just heard, and and again, this might be. Well, we'll get into sort of if I think this is correct or not, but I had just heard it's fucking gross and stupid. And now those two things can also be things that attract me to a thing, mm-hmm. but I think it's always the tone in which it's said to me. Right. Uh, and even people that I had previously sort of trusted in in sort of this sort of genre uh, were like, ah, uh, no. And I was like, Re- okay. So I was a little bit um, uh, sort of tainted in the wrong direction, I feel like, or maybe the right direction. I don't know. Uh, so I just was like, and there is something, I think, incredibly off-putting about the name the itself. Right, yeah. Um, and I'm not a person that normally has an aversion to words, like moist doesn't bother me. That seems yeah, to be I've a big one for that folks. Either. And greasy doesn't really bother me either. But there's something, you know what? It might even be the promo image. It's called the Greasy Strangler, and it's like in a frame with like these two odd-looking men, one a father and son, sort of that like, uh, I don't know what that pose is called, but like... Behind... Elementary school, like class yeah. photo or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So like, and I'm just like... Oh God! They're gonna. One of them is going to be covered in grease, <laughs> strangling people, and yeah. I'm just like, ah, do I want to see it? And I never did, but we did it, Baby Dread. We did it for you. This- Thank you for writing it and being insistent, and also being clear yeah. as to why uh, you felt this movie was important for us to discuss. So, if you recall, we made a we made a point of cutting off our uh, our request line a little bit, just so, just because we we had a backlog of requests that were taking uh, that we were taking for, far too long to get to, um, and so we made an a. Uh, 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 a sort of a requirement there that if you wanted to request a film, you had to write in very specific reasons for why you thought Matt and Shahir should watch this film. And Baby Dread did that by writing into us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod, as he did every week with a greasy strangler <laughs> uh, gif, uh, which I felt compelled to respond to. Uh, Matt, can you tell us, just for the for, for people who aren't Baby Dread, uh, what the greasy strangler is about? I absolutely could. Here we go. Ronnie runs a disco walking tour with his son, Brayden. When a sexy woman takes the tour, it begins a competition between father and son for her love. It also signals the arrival of an oily strangler who stalks the streets at night. No, he's greasy. He's greasy. Greasy. Also, so we read the IMDb uh, Mm -hmm. thing because oftentimes it can glean uh, what the public consciousness sort of thinks about what what the the topics these movies cover Or, or inaccuracies. The Greasy Strangler was already around yes. before this woman showed up. Right. So I was, let's. I was going to say factually incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scene, scene one. Yeah. They're like, don't worry, I'm not the Greasy Strangler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big Ronnie is all about. He he wants people to know that the Greasy Strangler is around. Although yes. I wonder, yeah. I wonder how his killing spree has been uh, prior to the arrival of Janet. I mean, they know they know who this. I mean, okay, if we're gonna really sort of get into the world of this, the characters know who the greasy strangler is, right. and therefore has some level of gravitas in these characters' lives. <laughs> uh, that someone's heard of him. I think there might be some posters at some point. Like at the first disco tour, there's like posters. There's a poster for the greasy well, strangler. So what I oh, I thought it was wanted posters, I but I couldn't that. see. They're all small. It almost looks like like uh, you know just normal sized paper next to each other, and it looked like a drawing of a younger version of the father. And I didn't see like anything else on it. I didn't. 
catch that. At but all. I was like, oh, maybe like this is setting up that like the greasy strangler is out there more mm-hmm. so even after that first scene we're talking about. See, I took it as no one knows the greasy strangler exists, which is why the father's saying <laughs> in every scene, I'm not the greasy strangler, <laughs> as if he's trying to get his mythos out there. Possibly. But the son did know because he goes bullshit. He's in the line of this movie right, is yeah, bullshit yeah. artist. So bullshit that means artist. he, the son must know. Who and what the greasy strangler is? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he wouldn't. He'd be like, "Dad, what's the greasy? Who's the greasy strangler?" Well, no, no. <laughs> but but the, the, the the last half hour of the movie, the son's trying to figure out. He's like, "I'm going to solve the mystery of who the greasy strangler is." Oh, I know. What I'm just saying is because, like, the, I think maybe. Maybe it's a small. Maybe Greasy Strangler's a small town killer, and he's trying to blow it up, and so the son knows, but not like a ton. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. He's prolific, if not anything, though. Uh, I, the sure. Greasy Strangler is prolific. One thing I kind of want to get at before we before we uh, get into the film, though, is 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 what genre of film this is, because I don't want any listener who like you know tunes in weekly to to, to suddenly go, oh, I'm going to go check out the Greasy Strangler without <laughs> really knowing what they're in for. And I think the broad categorization of the films that we're going to be talking about are midnight movies. Yes. Right, like the the Absolutely. kinds of movies that have that reputation for playing, you know, normally typically uh, at midnight in a film yeah. screening because they're slightly out of the realm of no- what is quote unquote normal, uh, but also have broadened out into into topics that you know most films don't don't cover, such as you know uh, gratuitous violence, gratuitous sex, you know, and and I'm thinking broadly about like the exploitation genre in, in yep. particular, which which has like these incredible subgenres. There's a book that I read uh, a few years ago called. Um, Bold, shocking, dear, uh, bold, shocking, true. The true, the history of exploitation films by Eric Schaefer, and it's it it details uh, like the 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 variety of types of exploitation films you can get, and you know the, you know to the point you get things like nunsploitation is kind of a big deal. Obviously, black exploitation is something we know about. Sexploitation, goreploitation, uh, and 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 drug exploitation. You know, like the, there is so, so many specific subgenres of of what an exploitation film could be. But more broadly speaking, these are the kinds of films that uh, mainstream film you know studio films even even mainstream studio B films uh, don't kind of co- don't cover and these are films often made uh, by independent filmmakers uh, with a slightly more entrepreneurial bent uh, and the and the sort of um, the famous examples are um, Herschel I think it's Herschel Gordon Lewis who made the Wizards of Gore and that was a film that you know he made on his own and he would take uh, to road shows on his own you know he would like literally carry the print yeah. from theater to theater and and the result is that you get things in these films that you would not ordinarily see in most movies. A, a sort of uh, interest in uh, gore, sex, violence, you know, things that you just wouldn't see in an ordinary movie. So I want to really make clear that uh, for listeners who are, who are chiming in and think you might they might go check out The Greasy Strangler, that that's kind of the ballpark you're playing in here just to begin with. 18 plus, don't be eating salmon. Don't eat salmon. That's kind of what I can say at this point. Especially don't eat salmon with gravy. And I would also say Hawaiian pizza, don't eat that either. (laughs) Every time I bit into a pineapple, I was like, oh, Oh, no. no. This is delicious, but no. (laughs) (laughs) The other connection is this film was produced by Elijah Wood and a a person by the name of Ant Timpson, who uh, may not be well-known in the United States, but he's very well-known in New Zealand. He is a New Zealander. Um, And he's got a film coming out with Elijah Wood uh, shortly called Come to Daddy. Uh, But Ant Timpson uh, used to run a film festival in New Zealand called the Incredibly Strange Film Festival. And he was a guy who would bring in a lot of prints of old, hard-to-find, you know, a lot of exploitation 
exploitation films. And I saw, uh, I was exposed to a lot of really interesting films from there. Because the other thing about exploitation films or the midnight movie is that occasionally you find like rare gems within them because they're so, uh, I guess, unfettered by uh, the the boundaries of society and cinema as we know it. You you occasionally find really wonderful things in them. Um, um, a couple of the films that. Uh, I saw there that, you know, like kind of opened my mind a little bit was uh, uh, Alejandro Hodorowski's film El Topo, Holy Mountain, um, Takeshi Miike's film Dol... Um, or I was about to say Takeshi Miike's film Dolomite, which is not the case. <laughs> uh, Takeshi Miike's film Audition. And then I did see Dolomite there as well. Uh, another film, Fight for Your Life, uh, was something that I absolutely adored when I saw it there. And, and, and Timson, I think, is an interesting guy because... Um, he, you know, like, I guess in the sort of vein of like John Waters or something, you know, they, these are people who are called kind of tr- purveyors of trash, you know, mm-hmm. like people who, uh, who indulge in the, in the depravity of cinema. But Timson is actually a really, uh, intelligent and well-versed cinema, cinephile. I think, I think he's actually friends with Quentin Tarantino and, you know, Guillermo del Toro and all those people. They know Timson. Timson has a lot of prints. Um, he's, he's well-known in this, in this community. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I, I'm, you know, this is one of the fir- uh, it's not the first film he's produced, but it's one, it's one produced by his company. And I think his company, along with Elijah Wood, Spectrovision, um, uh, you know, has an interest in these particular kinds of movies. We saw a little bit of a revival of these kinds of films with uh, the Grindhouse films, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, Quentin Tarantino. There was that little moment in, you know, I think it was 2008 or something like that when Death Proof and Grindhouse came out. Hobo it, with and a sudden, shotgun. Yeah, Hobo with a Shotgun. I, Everyone was excited about and Grindhouse. And Machete got like uh, two yeah, or machete. three sequels too yeah. or something like that. Me, yeah. and, uh, me and friends of I... Uh, me and friends of mine uh, also made one as well, right? Uh, called the Blood Grinder. Nice. The Blood Grinder, which that sounds very like much the, in that realm. Yeah, it sounds very much on brand. Are you guys? I mean, in terms of the the sort of the midnight outside the realm of kind of studio or even B films, are you kind of do you do you go to see this one? I mean, obviously, The Room is one that we kind of all know about. Is, is there is there anything like this that you you know? I think Matt, maybe you and I have talked about the story of Ricky. Ricky O. Ricky O. Yeah, I, I love Ricky have. O. Have we not talked about no. that one? Okay, sorry, we haven't talked about that one. Ricky O's great. Ricky O is a is a thing. I'm of not beauty. familiar with Ricky O. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what is Ricky O? Uh, it is uh, prison ploitation. Is, 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 is it Japanese or is it? I I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's Japanese, but it's a very violent martial arts movie. Okay. Yeah, it's extremely a, violent. Ricky O gets sent to prison and basically has to like fight through the. Uh, the culture of prison, okay. uh, you know, like the the warden is ends up being the big bad, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a there's a great gif out there of one of the moments where Riccio punches a wall and punches the whole wall down. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's amazing scenes where like the camera will be going down the row of cells and it gets to Riccio's cell and he's just like standing flexing, not working out, <laughs> just flex, just flexing. It's doesn't at one point he rip delight. off he rips off someone's arms that he's be- that he's beating up and then he beats them with the arms. Yes. Yeah, it's, that makes it's, some, some sense. Yeah, I, I mean, are you guys into these kinds of films? Yes. I mean, this is a, definitely a step beyond John Carpenter, who may oh, for, yeah. for some film for some film goes might be on the fringes. Uh, I mean, John Carpenter by comparison is very mainstream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't know if I would necessarily uh, go see this in theaters because I probably wouldn't have heard about it. Right. Um, this is something that if I was at a festival, I would absolutely go to. Yeah. Uh, whenever to a midnight I, screening. And, yeah. Any of the festivals that I've ever been to with my films or just have been to a festival period, I always look up the midnight films and try to see them because, yeah, you're going to see really weird, awesome stuff. And then, yeah, I, I, through the grapevine, I probably would have heard about The Greasy Strangler eventually and it would have been, hey, guys, Friday night, what are you doing? Let's order some pizzas and watch The Greasy 
Pussy Strangler. Which would have been a mistake. And then which not eat the pieces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, real quick shout out to Elijah Wood for just being a, a fun, weird dude. Yeah, you know, you know, back in Frodo times, you know, you wouldn't really have known that, and now we're getting all sorts of great stuff uh, from his his odd mind. So I appreciate that. Although to be fair, back in his Frodo times, he was hanging out with Peter Jackson, who got who his do- start yeah. making movies just like this. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the interesting thing is Peter Jackson is a filmmaker who kind of like started out in exploitation films, films like Bad Taste and Brain Did. Uh, meet the Feebles. And Meet the Feebles. Meet the Feebles. Yeah. Which Meet the Feebles has become like the white whale for me. Like I. I I want to see it so bad. Oh yeah, that you I, seen I've never seen Meet the oh, Feebles, wow. and I want to see it so bad that I I refuse to like watch it streaming. So every time I go to like an uh, you know a, a video store where they've got old VHSs and stuff like that, I'm looking for it. I want to find it in the wild, right? And watch it on some sort of physical media, and I haven't been able to find it do anywhere. S- do you still have a functional VCR? Yes. Up top. <laughs> yes. You know what's funny? There's I, one right in that closet. <laughs> I don't have it hooked up, but it's there. Yeah. No. I, I actually once filmed in a studio in New Zealand where Peter Jackson had filmed. I think he'd filmed Brain Did there and maybe scenes from Meet the Feeble. And the production manager came out, the studio manager came out, and he was like, hey, look up. And we looked up, and there was all these brown stains on the ceiling. Ooh. And he was like, that's from 10 years ago when Peter Jackson was here filming um, uh, Brain Did. And like, they splattered. If you haven't seen Brain Did, there is so much blood in that movie that it's kind of amazing. Amazing that they actually had enough mixture to do it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still on the ceiling at the studio in Avalon Studios in New Zealand. Brain Dead, also known as Dead Alive. Did, yeah. It's called Dead Alive here, right? Yeah, yeah. Dead Alive here. I don't the, sure. the, the Blu-ray yeah. I own is called Dead Alive. So I think, yeah, for American audiences, it's Dead Alive. For everybody else, it's Brain Dead. And the famous scene in there is where Peter, uh, where the the priest attacks a pack of zombies with a lawnmower. Correct. Yes. But that, I mean, that's one of many. There's also the one that never will come out of my brain, which is the old woman choking on a whole dog, <laughs> and then the dog is pulled back out of her throat oh, to been, save her. It's been so long since I've seen that film. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, again, listeners, if you're, if, you're, if you're hearing the things we're talking about right now <laughs> and, you're, and you're wondering to yourself, oh, I should check out this movie, The Greasy Strangle, just be aware of what you're getting into. I mean, I love... <laughs> I just want to look at the, the last couple films we did was Ready or Not, <laughs> It, um, just nor, more more mainstreamy horror stuff if we're going in this genre that we cover. So this is outside of that box. However, uh, if you have the stomach and you've eaten at least maybe three or four hours ago, uh, <laughs> maybe check it out if you think this is if up your alley so you can continue this conversation with us because it's going to get weird. It mm-hmm. is going to get a little weird. Very weird. So Matt, I'm very curious. Oh, Matt Bronstoff. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm going to have to do the Matt B and Matt. Uh, Matt well, K if, on if, this. if you want to, uh, or should I just do K and? You can just call me what everybody else calls me, which is Bronny. Bronny, yeah. big. Oh, that's kind of like an abbreviation of Big Ronnie as well, which is appropriate. Sure. Yeah. So Ron. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, first, I'm sorry, p- I do not have a fire hose penis. I, I just don't. <laughs> That penis was the strangest thing I've ever seen. That's not a real penis, right? No, no, they're all prosthetics. Okay, because I was like, I got weirded out for a second because, uh, spoiler alert, I don't really look at a lot of old men penises on the internet, so I don't know exactly (laughs) what a penis looks like when you're uh, you're an elderly gentleman. And I was like, and I was like, wait, penises don't really, right? This isn't a thing because it's like it's like a it's like a triangle. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's uncircumcised. Go you, go you. But it's like a sharp, red, angry point. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's like a, a a dog's penis. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the it's the red lipstick, as as some people yep. would call it. Yep. When dogs are very excited. Yeah. yeah. So the yeah, I, I was <laughs> straight up. That's the first thing you kind of noticed in this entire thing. Can I ask one question yeah. as well? Did the penis get redder and pointier as the film went along? 
I don't think so. Because at the beginning, I was like, oh, that's a penis. And I was like, okay. And it was like later in the film, I found, I found myself staring at the penis going, I don't understand what this is. I, yeah, I think, I think it's... It, I notice it's it's red and pinkness in the close-ups. In, yeah. the, in the wide shots, it looks like a relatively normal penis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that might have just been like... I mean, he's the, very well endowed. You know, I was very like... Very well endowed. Yeah, I was well, like, the, his son, you. on the other hand, yeah. not, not so much. much. Uh, well, no, I, I don't think it got... At least I can guarantee it didn't get pointier because when he's greased up the first time that you see him, it's the exact level of pointy that it is at the end. So uh, we said this was a review of the Greasy Strangler. It's really a review of his dick. Um, I just want to get that that out there it's real magnificent. quick. magnificent. Get ready for 30 more minutes on this. Yeah, dick talk right now. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is sort of what the movie's trying to get you to do. Otherwise, he wouldn't have his... His dick is, like, objectively the fourth lead. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, 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 and a pretty magnificent one. Bronny, yeah. I'm curious what you thought of the film just as a general, general impressions. Uh, overall, I found it to be... Pretty delightful. Wow. Uh, I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very gross. Uh, the only thing that bummed me out a little bit is that it gets tedious. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, 90 minutes. Perfect. That seems like the right amount of time for something that, that I know is going to be this grotesque. And, like, I was I was really into it, really loving it. And then, yeah, around, like, the hour and 15-minute mark, I was like, you could – this could end now. Right. And yeah. And it'd be fine. Right. And I, yeah, in the last 20 minutes or so, I kept looking at the clock being like, oh, God, there's another 10 minutes of this. Yeah. Because I just, I didn't find much to latch on to after the initial jokes and grotesqueness of it. Um, but I'd say if I, if I had to give it a grade, mm -hmm. give it a solid B. B plus. It's all B plus. Okay. B plus, well, B plus. That, that's a that's that B plus. I think is like a pretty respectable cinema score, right? I, I, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I think I think this movie is a hard one to grade in a traditional sense because I mean, we Sheer and I get into this uh, argument slash discussion all the time on the show. Uh, but what is a movie? Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! Uh, We're bringing that. Uh, I'm just saying that's something that we could talk about. That sounds here. like a whole can of worms. That, that maybe, old chestnuts coming. Maybe back. we could do it later. I don't want to jump into it now, but that's, it's, it makes it difficult to discuss this in a in a. Uh, I don't even want to say classically critical, but like in a way that you'd be like Roger Ebert says the Greasy Strangler. It, like it's like that it doesn't quite make sense. Um, I thought I totally agree with the too long bit especially in a world like where adult swim now exists mm -hmm. you can make things that are 60 minutes you could make things that are yeah. 40 minutes that are sort of like could be just as impactful if someone told me that this was streaming and it was like a 35 40 minute like sort of that mid-tier short film thing i would have been like okay and it did like it didn't offer you anything new past maybe two-thirds mark until yes. the very end the very, very, very end of the film. Which is inscrutable. Which, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is something completely different. But you're right. It it, uh, it wore out its welcome. And once I got beyond the salmon I was eating, and once I sort of got beyond <laughs> the grossness and wondering uh, if that was an actual older gentleman's genitalia, uh, I, weirdly enough, I got bored. Yes. It, it, it's, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Again, you're watching it, and you're like, Oh, I'm in for like, you know, whatever. And I think I think I want to go back to even the thing I was saying before where if you were with a group of people, what would keep this not exhausting is your banter back and forth yes. with your friends. Mm -hmm. And when you're sitting there just with you and your cat, 
and your cat's not laughing, uh, <laughs> then I, you know it gets into a weird spot. I also think this film has an odd, um, at least I took an issue with it, and it's and it's of a sense where, uh. It is very well made. Like very it, it, well made. it's like the the camera, like the 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 shots are composed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lit correctly for like what it what it's trying to do. But there's a weird because it is because that like the dialogue is so stilted and because the cuts are so intentionally a little bit harsh and and things are sort of locked off and whatnot. The fact that it was like so technically done correctly, but it was technically done in a way to make it feel off-putting, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Normally when these films are, are these midnight movies, half of the off-puttingness and half of the, the schlockiness is actually in the quality of the film's crafting. And this felt like someone crafting something incredibly skillfully to try to look like something that wasn't crafted skillfully. I'm not saying it exactly right, but that, that juxtaposition kind of threw me off. If this, say, had been... A VHS tape. Maybe it's even just the clarity of streaming or like whatever it was. But like this felt like I should have been watching it with like scan lines through it. And yeah. like and it's because it's a 2016 film, that's kind of how it is. But like there was something that took me out of the entire experience due to that uh that clashing of of feelings. Normally I'd want it to be a little more it's funny, for a film like The Greasy Strangler, which you could call a very dirty film. It's shot very cleanly. Yeah, okay. it's and, very stylish and very beautiful. It's like it's so like it's it's that was a weird jump that my brain kept doing, mm-hmm. and it did take me out of it in conjunction with having feeling like it was a little long. Granted, the the funny moments were very funny, and the shocking moments and the gross out moments were very shocking and gross yeah. out. So that's the goal. It did that. Yeah, it just could have done it. I think a little quicker and maybe with a little more. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe a little more grease on the lens. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you wanted it to be a dirtier, dirtier. Movie. Yeah. You wanted it to be grimier. I, I was expecting grime, and I, I maybe maybe the comedy does come from the fact that it wasn't. Like, if it was super grimy, maybe it wouldn't be as uh, absurdist. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. It just there was a balancey thing that fell a little off for me. I think. The pro it, it loses steam because yeah, like you said, a- after two thirds of the movie, it doesn't offer anything new. Yeah, um, and yeah, like w- we're talking about other examples of of grotesque movies like this, and I think Dead Alive, yeah, Brain Dead, uh, is an excellent example of of what I think a movie like The Greasy Strangler maybe should have done, which is yeah, the intended goal is to make you laugh and to gross you out as much as possible, but Dead Alive builds to this. Absolutely insane climax that it even escalates, it, right? It, it, it continually yeah, escalates. Yeah, it's it's always heightening. Yeah, and I think that the Greasy Strangler doesn't do that. I think there's a point where it gets maybe wrapped up a little bit too much in the the father son girlfriend relationship of it all that it forgets. I think in the last half that it's supposed to be disgusting. Yeah, and when. Spoiler alert! Can I come in? Spoiler alert! When the son takes on the mantle of the greasy strangler, I was like, "Okay, this is where we're gonna start cooking." Yeah, and then it sort of just it's, like, pfft, yeah, peters yeah. out. It becomes more of the same. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think for me, I you know, like the the things that you guys have identified are kind of the issues that I have with the film, which is a, to, to to flat out say I didn't enjoy watching this movie at all. And it's not because <laughs> I don't think I have a palate for these kinds of films. You know, like I I think you know, like Did Alive, I think is a really great example, um, or you know, Brain Did, uh, because it continually escalates. Is that is that I think tonally this movie stays in one place and and doesn't go beyond that. And yeah. and and 
for, in order for that to work, I think you do need the audience experience in order to kind of capture that sense of community around watching something this absurd. Because as you both pointed out, it's ex expertly made. Um, you know, it's it's very, and, and I think uh, for me, exploitation films sort of fall under two categories. One is that they're unaware of the limitations of their filmmaking, and that is kind of uh, endearing uh, or can be kind of fun. And the second is is that maybe they are aware of the limitations, and that's the sort of, um, or or they maybe are aware of the the style of film that they're making, and that's where the fun comes into it. So you know, I think the the grindhouse revival that happened with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez was really about that sort of wink to the audience. Hey, we know we're kind of doing odd cuts here. Mm -hmm. We know we're kind of doing absurdist kind of um, graphic filters over the film, and that's what we're kind of winking to you with. And I think in this film, there's such a degree of good craftsmanship that the absurdist tone kind of uh, gets a little a little hard to bear because it doesn't ex escalate like you're like you're describing it, it kind of you know it stays in one in one lane and and you know like the the murders don't get more grotesque yeah. in fact more by the time the third murder happens I was kind of like uh, you know I was in that mo mode of like I wanting to fast forward yeah. and just get to like what's the big thing that's gonna happen at this point the second thing is um, you know, in the in the in the vein of exploitation films, they typically are. You know, there, there are very few exploitation films. Although I'm sure there, you know, someone could come up with a list of female-driven exploitation films or female-driven midnight movies. And and there's something about the dynamic in this film um, between Ronnie and um, Brayden that uh, that you know, and and the film obviously places Janet in between them. But the way Janet is actually used feels even for an exploitation film so derivative mm -hmm. that it's unpalatable or it's difficult to kind of it's difficult to watch you know thinking about ah oh, that poor actress having to like be in this film yeah you know like the, 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 i i don't mind when films kind of um, uh, I don't think oh, every film has to be woke or you know 2019 yeah. but there's a degree in this film where I'm kind of like Ah, uh, I just, I kind of, I, I feel like we're, we're, you know, like we're, we're, the, it feels uncomfortable for the people inv mm -hmm. involved in the film. I mean, I, I, I admire that the actress playing Janet. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, I can't think of her name right now. Um, right. Elizabeth Durazo. Okay, Elizabeth she was Durazzo. in Eastbound and Down as well. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. a show I haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> mm. Um. I admire that she's game. Yeah, she's, she's clearly she's down. Totally game for this. Yeah. What, what, whatever they're having her do, she's down for. But I think what's missing that would pull it away from that, like, oh, it's just like the male gaze thing, <laughs> is she's not really given anything fun to do. That's, yeah. that's my problem, is that she's got nothing to do in this movie. And essentially, she just bounces between the two yeah. with no sense of, like... Uh, interest, you know, like it's just like, oh, uh, you know, at this point, I here I am, and at this point, here I am. There's there, okay, so there's a. I, I want to see if I can make this connection. And spoiler alert, I don't know if I can. But the reason why I think some the, the this felt a little bit out of time for me is like that dynamic is one of them in the film where f it, this felt like a movie. The, the 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 script or the story felt like a movie made in the '80s, right? Like it felt like an '80s or '90s sort of schlocky midnight movie, but mm -hmm. with 2016 production value. There's something there that throws that off entirely for me when we're doing something like this in this day and age and although this is dating it a little bit far back but let's look at something like too many cooks yeah right 
Yeah. I love Too Many, too many Cooks it's, is phenomenal. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Too Many Cooks, it's like, I think, 16 minutes long or something like that. It, it aired it's on... A, it's, yeah. it's 11. It's the is standard it adult swim okay. format. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it, at 4 a.m. it aired randomly with no announcement. Go watch Too Many Cooks if you haven't seen Too Many Cooks. But the thing that Too Many Cooks does is something that this film we talked about does not do, and it builds. It takes a premise of the open of a 80s, late 80s, early 90s sitcom and goes to an absurdist kind of terrifying place by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And But it escalates and is constantly changing and it uses it uses the tropes that it is that it starts with even throughout the end of it like it has an entire sort of thematic wrapper to it that takes you even though it's trying to be you know it's trying to be of an era it feels fresh while still referencing that era yeah this film and along with the Janet dynamic, along with weirdly enough, all of the side character dynamics, like it, they're all just props for these two other characters, which feels very sort of of that time. Mm-hmm. But it, it's shot cleanly. It has pretty good CGI, especially with. I mean, it's a little bit silly, but like the eyes popping out and things like that. Like, oh yeah, yeah like yeah. Th- it's not. It's, there's not a ton of CGI in this film, but like I never was like. Oh, bad CGI! Like it felt like I, it was... I actually felt those were practical. I thought I, thought I, I think the eyeballs are the the one that I was like, how did they do that? Is the, the nose? nose? Yeah. How oh. does he get his finger in the nose? That's yeah. got to be a couple different that, elements. Yeah, it's just yeah. a couple of composite elements. The, yeah. There was definitely CG with the eyes. I mean, right. there was one part where it was practical when they were ballooned, but when they popped, that I, was I, CG. I, I actually thought that I, I would venture to guess that's practical. We'll take. We'll I, bet I, a whole dollar. I, I, I'll bet a I, dollar I, to both yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. And I, maybe I, it's different the, per shot. I think. I think it's. I, I'm. I'm going to think that it's practical as well because you know they have the close up of when the strangling starts. Yeah. Then they cut to the reaction shot, and then when they cut back, the eyes are already bulged. So yeah, I think it's th- a prosthetic. I th- yeah, yeah, I think it's just they go from person to prosthetic. There's. There's. So there's. There's two or three times the eyes pop out. Uh, I think there's two eye. No, I think there might be three. There's the because the, Janet gets Janet's eyes as well. Janet, yeah, yeah Janet's eyes. Right. Well, yeah, and the uh, and the uh, hot dog guy. Was yeah. there wasn't there one more? Mm, those are two I remember. Two. There yeah. was one that you saw the bulge, and there was one where you just saw like pop, and they flew, and there was like splatters of cartoon blood. I I I'm irrelevant. But yeah. I, I also I, I also think it's keeping out of tone with what this film is trying to do to go CGI with any of these elements. So I I I would venture to guess like the nose one is probably like a composite, mm-hmm. uh, which is not quite CGI, but kind of like in the halfway ground. Effect, yeah, yeah. And then and then I it feels like within the the ballpark of what this film is, this would be a prosthetic effect. But the but the interesting thing too is even if we get to the very, very end, which makes the least amount of sense for the entirety of the film, oh, that's there's a ton of CGI yeah, there. That's definitely CGI. What sure. the hell was that? Can we <laughs> I'm sorry. Like this literally has bothered me. <laughs> Since all you night. Saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I went to bed at what at two a.m. Yep. and I've been thinking about it all night. Let's talk about the ending. What okay. what happened? Okay, so so after so uh, in I guess in the morality clause of what this film should be doing, you would expect Janet to be able to kind of you know like in the planes, trains, and automobiles kind of uh, mode of filmmaking where two people are conning a third person. Mm-hmm. The third person eventually wins, you know, yeah. uh, wins over uh, in the day. And that's not what happens in this film. Janet, uh, 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 Brayden decides to become the, the second greasy strangler and rather than stopping his dad from strangling Janet, he actually joins in and finishes the job for her. They pop the eyeballs out. They eat them like popcorn at a movie. Oh. Then, then go out into the wilderness and witness kind of uh, an almost uh, surrealist 
execution of themselves from characters that we haven't seen before, where they're, t- uh, they're strung up against a, a wall. Oh, this is after they've decided to kill... Um, Ricky Pickles? Ricky Pickles yep. with, the, with the stunning abs. The, the, yes, Ricky Pickles with the stunning Which, abs was the character that ran off with the with the mother of mm. Brayden and the ex-husband of Ron. So, huge, Brayden. huge letdown, by the way. Yeah, yeah you didn't when, see the abs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, you been you spend 90 minutes talking about a guy's abs, I wanted to see them chasing down Brad Pitt or something yeah. like yeah. that. Or, or, and or it looks see- like it's just a short little weeble man out in the woods, but we never get a close-up we him. never get a close up to see like that it's not great abs or something yeah. like that that they've got a completely misperception yeah. of it. So that I, I I'm I'm on board with Ricky Pickles. I'm like and, and you know actually at that point of the film as well the fact that the film kind of opens up to the daylight and the greasy stranglers out in the daylight in the forest and that sort of thing. I'm like oh is this the, the it's, it's taken a while to get here but I'm hoping this is the escalation point. Yes. And then and then we witness after they've they've killed Ricky Pickles and maybe they've they take out Ricky Pickles' eyeballs as well. Maybe they pull they, his ears off. Oh, they pull his ears and off. And that's CG. Off. Yeah, I think I think that there might have been a little bit of that. Uh, whatever the champagne popper head yes. was definitely yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then the next scene after that is they witness this execution of themselves, and it is that surrealist like they're watching themselves being executed. And the final moment after that is them kind of like fully greased, fully, With fully spears, fully yeah. Neanderthal, fully, fully regressed into Neanderthal state out mm-hmm. in the wilderness, walking towards camera, cut to black. And I and I. I, I think I can take I can make a reading of this uh, uh, of that moment sure. because it because it has to do with like this complete regression and maybe that's a reprise from like the the fact that they they killed Janet without sort of any sort of moral comeuppance and you know like and essentially what the film is kind of saying by the end of it is that is that this is a this is essentially like a, a failure of these two characters because they've completely regressed into mm-hmm. a further state you know that that's beyond reproach but but it comes so late in the game and that that's that surrealism is so unusual and so sort of confounding that yeah. it kind of it you're I feel like I'm stretching to make you know I'm reaching to make it interpret yeah. in, interpret it yeah for 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 a, a movie that's already pretty surreal it's that moment is so surreal that it, it feels like it comes out of nowhere yeah. and it doesn't quite make sense. But uh, And um, just to mm. pop this reference out there, they basically <laughs> become the tribe from Bone Tomahawk, essentially. Uh, I, you know, I haven't seen Bone Tomahawk. Oh, I, I need to see Bone Tomahawk. I know, yeah. That's a movie. Yeah. Very slow. But it, I hear an excellent film. Yes. Um, I want to pull a review from uh, Andy Webster at the New York Times, and I, th- I think this the was New York con- Times reviewed this. A lot of places reviewed this film. Sixty-five percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I was surprised it even had a score on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it didn't have Elijah Wood's name attached to it, I think yeah. I think it would probably fly under the radar. It didn't make a lot of money. Ben Wheatley's also <laughs> Ben Wheatley oh, yeah, also yeah. produced it. Yeah. Um, so uh, Andy Webster wrote at the New York Times: Cinematic pro- provocation is always welcome, but John Waters and David Lynch, even at their most eccentric, have always had originality and a measure of heartfelt compassion. And this is the harshest line, and it's not coming from me, but Mr. Hosking, uh, the director, Jim Hosking, has only derivative posturing uh, as the review. And I, and I, I think that's, that's harsh, but the, the line that I kind of thought about a lot, and, and Baby Dread actually mentioned this as well, being like the first kind of John Waters-esque uh, film that we've done, although I will point out Swiss Army Man kind of falls into this category yeah. as well, is that uh, John Waters, David Lynch, do... Managed to find some soul within these stories, mm-hmm. and and you know, and I think the the issue isn't like finding a morality to it, but if you're gonna spend ninety minutes with two characters, there has to be something in it for the audience, yeah, to latch be, onto, to latch onto, and I and I wondered what was there to latch onto in this film, and I didn't. So the reason I think there's two reasons why the ending ending felt disparate to me. One, tonally completely different, weird nutball, whatever you know, and that that's fine. You can do that. I mean, you just have to sort of tie it. 
a little bit with your theme, even if it's not directly in, involved in your story. And the second that uh, Brayden sort of turn, he turns into the Greasy Strangler to, uh, uh, I thought was going to be like a Greasy Strangler versus Greasy Strangler yeah, yeah, fight. Yeah. 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 And then it, it, he just turns because becoming the Greasy Strangler, I guess, turns you into a psychopath and then he's like close to his dad again or whatever. Uh, that to me, that was the weirdest moment in the entire movie to me because the build to that point never had him remotely. Like the, the, the way these characters are portrayed they don't ever question the thing that they are doing. Mm -hmm. So then to have a character just do a 180 on something that they've been railing for the entire film, a.k.a. either being with Janet or saving Janet or stopping the Greasy Strangler, then just be like, nah. Like, that's one of those, I, I felt like, and it's weird to say this in this film, but a cheap flip. Like, it didn't, there was like, again, going back to too many cooks, the reason why when it gets to fucking nightmare fuel ridiculous by the end is the the the, the, the kindling and the wood that they are using to burn that insanity fire is based and built and ripped off the doors of the framework of an 80s sitcom. Yeah. Like, the, 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 the text comes alive in that thing. This just flipped, like, it just was going down a track for about 65, 70 minutes and then just said, Nah, and like became a plane, and I'm like, planes aren't on tracks. Like it, yeah. it, it felt very weird. Uh, I, I could tell that what they were trying to go for was this sort of, and and this and this is why I found it like a little bit delightful. It mm. it did feel a little bit like a story of a, a, a father and son coming to a, a, an understanding between each other. Mm -hmm. And there is this very sweet scene with the two of them at the beach at the end where yeah. they say the line about, you know, I'd rather be here with you than mm. with uh, than in New Orleans with John Travolta, which yeah. is a great line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the, the reason why that moment doesn't quite feel true is that there's no moments before that where we get a sense at all that Ronnie likes Brayden. Right. I think... Uh, the whole time, I because Ronnie's like, you know, I I, I hate you. Yeah. You're useless. Um, put, I'm gonna put, steal put your more, girlfriend put from more you. Grease on this. Your mother left yeah. because of you. Yeah. Like like there, there's there's no moment where that wall breaks down and he reveals like, no, as hard as I am on you, I still love you as my son. Right. So that emotional moment that it tries to go for in the end doesn't feel earned. Well, it only it's only earned by the mutual murder of Janet. Right. Yeah. Like like that's that's the moment I guess for Ronnie. Uh, where he kind of comes to an appreciation of Brighton. But even that, you know, like, it, it doesn't feel uh, particularly cathartic. Yeah. And, and and even even in a warped catharsis, you know, like, it, isn't, it doesn't even feel like um, like it makes sense for the worldview of these characters. It just it just feels like this is the moment we're sort of supposed to, you know, glanch onto in terms of, uh, like, there being a, a connection between these two people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think these films have to, like, be emotionally resonant or, no, or no. sentimental or anything like that. They just, they need to have a clear sense of escalation. Yeah. And even if the escalation is emotional, even if it's visceral, if, you know, if it's like an escalation of violence, whatever it is, 90 minutes is just far too long for one note. Connective mm -hmm. tissue. Yeah. It needs connective tissue of some kind. It doesn't have to, like, you, you just sort of listed a bunch of different ways a thing could do it. We don't need every version of that. We don't need uh, a, a, a story or, or a through line with characters that, like, is the traditional emotional resonant, you know, Hollywood whatever uh, arc. It just has to have a connection to itself 
uh, and escalation or else we're just hanging out and then it takes a left turn and then it takes a second left turn, which you'd think would put it right back on track, but it doesn't. Yeah. See, see the film I, I thought about a lot, and you know, like Baby Dread mentioned that we hadn't done a film like this, but but I think Swiss Army Man is is exactly this kind of film. You know, it's a midnight movie. Uh, did you see Swiss Army Man directed, it, by, directed by the Daniels? <laughs> it's phenomenal. And it's real good. Yeah, and and, and it, it the the premise of Swiss Army Man starring um uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is that uh, a corpse is found on a beach that is used uh, as a farting propulsion device uh, that takes them on a, takes two f- mm-hmm. uh, people on a on a on a journey. Paul Dano too, right? Yeah, yeah. Paul Dano, Paul yeah, Dano yeah. does work yeah. in that movie. It's great. Um, it's- and, and and I I think that, that movie kind of takes that premise and and goes much further with it because and it, it manages to become sweet and loving and and it feels like it's this story about these two friends that find each other and this sort of like absurd relationship they have but they but it's built on a foundation that actually works and it's not just a sense of like oh this is that moment kind of thing and i and i think you know like Again, it doesn't have you know, like it's still absurdist, it's still silly, it's still uh, entirely out there, but you kind of feel for it. And the only issue there is that I think the greasy strangle, I, I really think this would work so much better as a half hour, you know, like, a, a, like th- that, that to me is kind of the extent of which I was invested in this film, and I, and I was barely invested. And I in think this that's film. fair. And I, I just want to jump back to a, a point that you made about um, David Lynch mm-hmm. that, that. You know, he creates these strange worlds, but there still is some sense of a, of a soul to it, and I think that that's an app. That's what this movie is is missing. It's created its own world. There's yeah. there's nothing normal yeah. in this world. Every single character acts acts strange or peculiar, mm-hmm. so it's created its own set of rules. Within that set of rules that this movie's created, I don't feel like our two main characters are living, breathing characters who have actual thoughts outside of you know the the one or two jokes that they hit on right so yeah that's why those emotional moments don't necessarily work because i don't believe wholeheartedly that these are fully fledged thought out characters and I think whereas it, something like twin peaks yeah yeah there's a lot of weirdos in twin peaks but they all make sense as human beings within the world that they exist or even eraserhead you know like by the by the time eraserhead gets to the to the the sort of amazing dream sequence mm-hmm. you realize that that dream sequence has to do with that character's like anxiety it yeah. has to do with their broader repression and it feels authentic to it and it you know it doesn't mean you have to like you know, like stop the movie and get sentimental or anything like that. It just has to feel like it, it holds together with some sense of like identity, you know, with yeah. soul. And I, and I think that's a, that's a, that, that to me is the missing factor in this. And I, and I, again, and then, you know, the, there is this sort of like male, you know, gaze kind of side of this film that, again, I think it's, it's part of the joke of the film, but it feels, it feels ickier than the Grease stuff a little bit. Like when when the film is kind of playing off these two characters against each other mm-hmm. for Janet's affection, and Janet really does just kind of goes one way or the next. Yeah, you kind of start going. Uh, you know, I I felt I felt more icky by that than I yeah. than I think than than other elements. This is the kind of movie that if you're watching on a larger screen, or it doesn't even matter the size of the screen, but then you like moments of it happen, and you look to see if your windows are open. Like if right. like if people outside could see what you're watching because you're like, oh, this is out of context. I mean, in context, it, you're barely sort of like, what's going on? But then you're like, do I? Oh, okay, the blinds are. Oh wow, I just got embarrassed on what I was watching. Like, it, it, there's there's a lot in this in this film uh, that oftentimes I don't have ever question. I'm like, it should, <laughs> there were moments in this where I was like, because it didn't hit on these moments we were just sort of talking about. Does it need to 
Like, does this movie? Did this movie need to be made? Ooh, so this is one of Baby Dread's questions. Yeah, should this film exist? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and 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 I wanted to play a clip from uh, a roundtable that was done with uh, the filmmakers and the producers to talk about why they made this film. Uh, so I think we should use that as a bouncing off point just to kind of start, and sure. then we can go from there. So the uh, the people you'll hear in this interview are Elijah Wood, one of the producers, uh, and the director. Uh, Jim Hoskins. Um, so let's just tee this up. We're just fucking thrilled for an audience to see this movie. <laughs> I, I am too, especially after we've this, been, like... dude. We've been living with this movie for a year, yeah. and we just can't wait for other people to see it. This is something. It's it feels like the, this great secret. It's it's what it's what I like to call. I call it gladiator cinema. It's like movie versus audience. Just like it's it's a very explosive well, no film. No one's ever I think. seen anything yeah. like this yeah. before, and yeah. I I just I can't wait for the reaction. For me, the main thing was to to make something that felt really totally different to anything else out there and was like um, you know really shaking things up a bit I mean I find a lot of films to be sort of formulaic and predictable and I just wanted to make something that just defied any kind of easy categorization and would just surprise people and confound them and and even if they felt like maybe you know maybe it wasn't necessarily their kind of thing that they'd still feel like Invigorated by it, you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I want. When I go and see something, I just want to have a genuine connection with a film where somebody's really expressing something of themselves, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's like a true vision of something. So that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm getting quite emotional. I'm gonna. No, I can tell. Like, I can tell. It's it's palpable. I'm tearing yeah. up. I, I feel. I'm not prone to hyperbole. I don't think any movie, even remotely like it, has ever existed. It's a particular combination of elements. That, yeah. yeah, and that, that's a good tr- transition, because didn't, didn't you describe it as um, fucked up? I think <laughs> I think I've used many many adjectives yeah. to describe. No, this there movie. were. It was uh, fucked up, disturbing, gross. A, a lot Thank of you. a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, and deeply hilarious. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, what what's what's disappointing about hearing that to me is that it it comes across as though they made the movie specifically just to get a reaction from the audience, right? And not because they really had any desire to tell a specific story. It's it seemed like Jim Jim Hoskins there was was saying that like he wanted to express something. Well, like, well, what is it? Is is this was this weird movie a way to express like how your relationship with your father may have been complicated? <laughs> And you wanted to get that out there? Or is it literally just like we wanted to make a movie and we wanted to gross people out and that's all it is? And that's sort of, unfortunately, how the movie comes across. Because, yeah, yeah, after a little while, it's like there's not much more to this other than being gross and funny and weird. That that interview we just listened to made me hate this movie so much more. You know, I kind of knew that would do that for you, to be Uh, honest with you. Really? Well, I mean, we've been doing this quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, Holy shit. Like, I okay. (laughs) <laughs> Greasy Strangler in a Vacuum for me is exactly what I've said up until this point. Mm-hmm. Now there's no longer... The air has been let into the chamber. It is not a vacuum anymore. We just heard the filmmakers describe the reasonings to what you just said, Matt, why they did this. Because there's been nothing like it before. Which is in incorrect. Incorrect. We, we, we just a. spent an hour talking about a bunch of other movies that are very similar. Yeah. Now, now the difference... That, now, what I would argue the difference of this film is... Is it is they are not as uh, this the Greasy Strangler is not as emotionally resonant as those other films are. Like mm-hmm. like this is a this is a purely sort of like so maybe in the sense of like just having a ninety minute like gross out a thon. Nothing's been like it before, but there totally has. It's just they're not 
popular or or kitschy. Then there's the like what you just said, the sort of emotional like they wanted to say something with it. They didn't say anything with it. Like you you can make connections yourself if you try real hard. Yeah. Um, but they're not leading the audience to anywhere. Okay, they made it to get a reaction from the audience, and that's a new experience. No, it's not. Every film was made to get a reaction from an audience. It's just this one you wanted. You, you, it kind of feels like what I said in the beginning. This feels like they're, they're tr- and, and I'm sad that this is now all coming to fruition in my brain, but this feels like a movie that they wanted to like basically design to play and consistently play a la uh, The Room or yeah. Rocky Horror or anything. Like they, they're like, well, we want to make one of those, which again is fine. But those movies became what that was because it was a natural extension of almost like the reason they continued on is the, the, the feeling or the emotion or the essence of the film transferred beyond the film's flaws. Yeah. And this is just all try- – like it feels like the Starbucksization a little bit now of – Midnight movies to me. <laughs> Fuck! I'm I'm now angry at this film. Wow. Okay. I mean, I can't. I uh, I there was a, there was a, 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 a something you said at the very top of this, which was like uh, the question about whether this should be, uh, whether this is a movie, is a movie or, or, or not. not. And 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 uh, and uh, there's a question that Baby Dread po- posed to us in reference to the return of Xander Cage, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, which was that definitely know, a move. Uh, a callback to that episode, uh, and this is uh, Baby Dread's question, which is: uh, Shahir started debating whether or not this movie deserved to exist, uh, <laughs> despite his indifference to it. The movie ended up making money, so in a way, it's fulfilled its primary purpose. The Greasy Strangler is a different story. I couldn't find or didn't know how to find the budget for the movie, but it made around forty-five thousand dollars. It's no blockbuster, but the difference is that the movie is really hard to recommend. I still don't know uh, for whom the audience, for for which audience this is. Since the question or not whether or not a movie did exist come up from time to time, I wonder if this would be a good one to talk about in that respect. And I think you kind of prompted that with that with that uh, with what you said earlier. Is this is this a movie? I, I I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Well, I want I want to prep Matt first and foremost. So, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Woof. And, yeah, woof. But mm-hmm. Shahir has said in the past that it is not a movie. Now, it's now, not now a com- this is it's where... certainly not a complete movie. Mm-hmm. It's but, it's two movies in one that are both unfinished. But mm. so then we this is I think that might be the first time we debated this this whole topic. Right. Uh here's what Matt is uh hung up on semantics. Oh, so, I, all so, the time. And, and so he's like 100% he's like, his, his, his point time. his point of view is wait, I just saw this thing on the screen, therefore it's a movie and I, I in think the format that it's correct to be considered I think a uh, feature like film missing yes. the point but you know regardless. No, yeah. well no, but this, but it all it's all going to come back to the greasy strangler. Okay. Right. Uh, should this should this movie? Yes, it is a movie. Of course, it's a movie. Um, should it exist? Yes. If a, if a person wants to create a piece of art, and you know, whether you like the art or not, yeah, this movie one hundred percent should exist. Do I have to like it and or praise it, especially after hearing why the art was made? No. But it, it doesn't change the fact that it is a movie or that the, that it has – and this movie has every right to exist just as much as any other piece of art has a right mm-hmm. to exist. Like I'm not going to – there's no – just because it didn't connect with me and just because I don't agree with the the, the reasoning behind it doesn't change that at all. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys think on that sort of – both two questions. Is it a movie <laughs> and does it deserve to exist? Uh, I would say yes. Yes, it's a movie. I don't even know how to unpack that question if it's not a movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, the the thing with the quote though that I would say the, the, the clip that we just listened to, I, I feel like maybe Elijah Wood 
set it up improperly. Maybe. And I and 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 I I I want to hear more from what Jim Hoskins had to say because like he said like in the clip he gets emotional about it and it's like okay so there is something more to the movie for you yes. as a filmmaker and I want to hear about that Elijah Wood with his quote about like we just wanted to get a reaction from the audience it's like I understand that you as the producer are trying to sell the picture but uh, there's got to be more to it yeah um so I. I I'm still I'm still on Team Greasy Strangler. Sure. I still think it's a it's it's a good movie. It's a good experience. It's something to watch. It's something to be admired. Um, I just don't think it's as entirely successful as maybe it thinks or it wants it to be. And I, I wanted to say this before um, when we were talking about the ending, and I just don't want to forget this point. Right. The end of the movie felt very much to me like the end of Dead or Alive, the Takashi Miike yeah, film, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. which yeah. is like a really good, solid like cop drama thriller Except the world <laughs> in, until the ending and i felt like both that movie and this movie whether they intended it or not i felt like both of those movies just didn't have an ending they didn't know oh, how wow. to end their movie and they're like let's just throw some crazy shit at the screen and allow people to you know make uh, make uh, something from it from their own perspective but we just ran out of ideas yeah oh which I, is which, I, is, which is a, a, a bummer because i feel like the greasy strangler could have had a much stronger better ending so could dead or alive have had a better oh ending. i love the ending to dead or alive the takeshi i was so pissed really so pissed because i was like oh you know i didn't get pissed until I, until I saw dead or alive too right and i was like oh that was nothing <laughs> yeah, that yeah, meant yeah. nothing so if anyone hasn't seen takeshi mika's dead or alive and i guess we probably shouldn't spoil it. The the ending is absurdist in the way that the ending of the Greasy Strangler is. It kind of yeah, as as you mentioned, it goes from uh, crop procedural kind of mano y mano kind of film to like suddenly, suddenly Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z, yeah. yeah. And it's and and I I I guess I kind of love it for that for that angle. And I guess my point here is that um, in terms of this film. I didn't think the laughs or the the disgust or the visceral reactions that I got were enough or escalated enough to like keep me interested in this film. And I, and I think genuinely, I, I felt like this was a film with 30 minutes of ideas that got stretched to however long it was. That's fair. And, and, and that, that was just, it, it got repetitious and, and tiresome and, yes. and, and, and difficult to watch. Um, and, and, you know, and then, and then there's just this slightly icky factor to it, you know, in terms of that, that sort of the role that Janet plays in this film that I think, you know, it just, it just didn't play for me. Whether it should exist, I, my, my, I think when we talked about the return of Xander Cage, my point there wasn't necessarily that the film doesn't have a right to exist, is whether we should be talking, whether we need to talk about it, because I wasn't that interested in it. And I guess my point here, which is maybe a reversal from that, is that one of the reasons I was interested to talk about this film, even, av I, even after having watched it, which is that I didn't enjoy it, I, I started thinking about, well, we as a podcast should talk about film. You know, we shouldn't only talk about films that we like. Yeah, of course. And we shouldn't yeah. only talk about films that we enjoy talking about or that we think have some value. We should talk about films that, that feel like they might miss that mark and maybe be proved wrong about that. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe have our points kind of challenged on that. And I, and I, so I absolutely think this film has a right to exist. My point about whether it's a movie or not, mm. it, I actually think this kind of falls into that same category as, as Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic, is it Jurassic World? Yeah. Which is that it not feels, Jurassic Park, Jurassic yeah. Park, which I is think that you'd it say feels incomplete. <laughs> it feels, it feels half baked. It feels like it, yeah. you know, like, it it doesn't quite function in in the sort of way I think a movie should function, what, and mm -hmm. and 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 that's kind of where I'm coming from in that point. 
What I just want to, because I, I, you know, I, as much as I do like bringing up semantics on this show, I, I, I would like. Do you have a definition of what you think a movie is? Or you don't have to answer that now. Like, just maybe eventually, because I, I don't want to keep bringing it up. Yeah. If it's something that we'll just go back and forth and we'll just say it's a semantical thing, because I am going just off of what I consider the definition of a of a of a movie to be a, a film that's roughly ninety minutes uh, shot in a certain way that is projected on a screen or put on a on a thing, and then the story is told throughout that medium. That's what I'm considering a movie. Now you're you were sort of saying something more along the lines of like the internal structure of it like it beyond its physical i guess limitations would also play into that more so for your definition i think in in the case of uh, those other films you know that we mentioned the jurassic world um in particular i think it didn't feel like there was a compelling reason for it to exist but, uh, but you I, know, like, and in terms of like, it it has every right to exist, but it didn't feel like it was there was a compelling reason for it to exist. So, and, right versus reason. Yeah, I guess that's. I guess maybe that's it. Okay, uh, we, I, we, we, we don't have to yeah. crack the egg right now. I, I was just curious. I, I feel like I feel like we're 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 touching on just the, mm. the nature of the story that you're telling. Period. Mm. Whether or not it's a complete story or an incomplete story. Yeah. And I feel like Jurassic Park, Fallen, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom is an incomplete story. Yeah. Um, I think Greasy Strangler is a complete story. It is a complete story. Yeah. yeah it actually I, does tell a story. A I, to if B. you really want to get into the semantics, yeah, let's of do it. it. Like, let's I do mean, it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Is it a movie? Yes, of course. It's a, it's a series of of twenty four photos shown in a, in a row. It's yeah, a motion yeah, picture. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, so like you could throw up any twenty. But yeah, I guess I mean, by that the, definition, you could throw up any twenty four photos. Yeah. Yeah. And that'd be in the timeline. Yeah. And that'd be a movie. Right. I'm not going to remember the title of this, but there's a documentary from like the 70s where it's like a guy going like on a on a mountain climb and there's like overlays oh, of like bugs I, and insects yeah, yeah, and I know. like it's, that it's a Chris uh, Christopher Snow film and it's uh, I forgot what it's called but um, he did another one called Wavelength uh, yeah, it's, it's like the same a, filmmaker yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, okay so that doesn't necessarily have a quote unquote story but that's a movie yeah 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 so, uh, and that's Mike, why Michael that, that's, Snow. That's Michael, Michael Snow. Snow. Yeah, yeah. I know, uh, I know the film, and it's got the it, the thing is there is that that's more about technique. Is that that ro camera rotates around mm -hmm. in interesting ways? Yeah. So yeah. you know what's interesting that we, we, he brings up that the baby dread brings up uh, the return of Xander Cage and and the, the the is part of the origin of why they wanted us to do the Greasy Strangler is I think weirdly that both films. This I guess will be my final thought on this. Both films. Uh, while they they don't exist for the same reason, they both exist for a singular reason. Mm -hmm. They're not trying. To, I, I don't. It will look. It, or, or they don't succeed past a singular reason. Look, maybe Xander Cage is a deep-seated look at, at Vin Diesel's psyche and what he believes uh, masculinity <laughs> should be versus toxicity or whatever. Or maybe it's just a bunch of money where he gets to snowboard down a dry mountain and fix cable TV for a small village. I don't know which that is, but I it's know a, what I saw. It's a star picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th this film, The Greasy Strangler, maybe does have something for for. I'm sorry, who was had everything they had the emotional Jim response? Hosking? Yeah, Jim, Jim Hoskins. Hoskins the, yeah, the director. Um, maybe there is a thing where this started as a as a as a, a seed of something where like it is about. Uh, a son not being able to connect with his father and because those story beats are there or you can see them in the distance they just you don't ever hit them yeah. um but it, it what the film that we got based on however it got there is has the exact same emotional punch as Triple X the return of Xander Cage the, I'd not, rather watch the Greasy Strangler. That, yeah, you know, you know that's to be neither honest, here nor there. To be honest with you I'm kind of I think I'm on your boat there which is that I think I would rather see something that I 
you know, like you guys, you know, kind of went on about how he, you know, it, it, there is other things like this, but we really do see these things. And I think Michael St. Vincent, for example, uh, the the actor who plays the Grease Strangler is a really interesting actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just yeah, your that's just your taste in spectacle. Well, it, 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 here's here's what I was I I do want I do want to make this point. I very much wanted to see the return of Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just disappointed by it, which is why I like would rather watch the Greasy Strangler because I think the Greasy Strangler is more successful at what it's trying to do. I'm all wherever Vin Diesel is, that's where I want to be. Yeah. I'm 100% on that train. Every Fast and Furious movie, I'm I'm there opening night. I'm still pissed that I haven't seen The Last Witch Hunter. Right. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I have not seen that either. Um uh, yeah, I just think Return. Of, I think Triple X just fails at being a good action movie with characters that I give a shit about. Right, and you know, Fast and Furious may be ridiculous, but you know what? I I care whether Dom lives. Yeah, yeah. I care whether Dom and Hobbs become friends by the end. Um, <laughs> it's all about family. Yeah, and uh, family. <laughs> but yeah, I but I, I think what you're pointing to, family. it doesn't matter what it is, as long as there is an it there. Yes, right. And 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 I'm not sure the Greasy Strangler. I, I feel like it's touching on an idea, and it's like it, it is. There's an interesting kernel of an idea here, mm-hmm. and I think the ending was for me kind of like a moment of respite in the in the sort of repetitious nature of it. You know, yeah. like instead of just like greasing up and killing people, it suddenly became surreal. And I and I kind of was like, oh, I wish the movie was kind of more surreal yeah. like this, and, and like escalated beyond this. Like it felt like this was the start of the second act. Um, yeah. and, and I kind of wish it went beyond that, but, but, but regardless, it is very well made. It is very well put together. And, and I watched a bunch of Jim Hosking shorts, um, before this and, and this is clearly, you know, like nothing of this is accidental. It's all, it's all a very clear choice. You know, the, yes. the, mm-hmm. the, the way, uh, him and, uh, Toby, uh, Toby Harvard wrote this is very, Specific and it's a very much a style. It's a it's a style of performance that he's got into it, and I think he he found the perfect vehicle with Michael St. Vincent. This, yeah. The, did you read Did you read any fun facts about Michael St. Vincent? No, I, I I tried to read as much as I could about this movie in particular before <laughs> coming here, but I didn't read anything about the act. He actually apparently Jim Hoskins sort of debates whether this is true or not, but he was a he was sort of like a, a hairdresser to the stars. Oh, I did. Read and that. John Travolta was one of his clients. Um, so that story about him and John Travolta on a yacht or something might have may have been true. That's um, and I think I, I, I actually really, uh, again, you know, like I, I kind of thought Janet's role was icky, but I was I was impressed at how committed everyone was to this. Yes. You know, like everyone was like game to make this happen, mm-hmm. to deliver it in the style that was very clearly, you know, from one point of view, you know, like this director sees this world kind of or wants to see the world like this. And I think that's I actually think that's fun. Yeah. We, we haven't talked about the most important character in this entire movie. The goddamn score. No, Andrew Hunt's score. The music score is, is so good. The music yeah. is fucking great. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's really just two cues that they repeat over and over again, but it's so delightful every it's, time it happens. Oh my god! I, I'm going to start and end this podcast with that music, so yeah. you'll have heard it and you will hear it again. It is. I I actively smiled, even though I yes. wasn't enjoying a lot of what was going on. Every time they went, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, it's, a, it's a great punctuation mark. Yeah. To every I guess you know, like if the joke doesn't land, the music always acts yeah. as the punctuation. Also, mark. my favorite joke in this car wash, the car yeah. wash scene. The car wash is such a good repeat, uh, repeating joke. It's yep. such it's such a good runner. Um, I was so pissed that the last time we do the car wash joke they 
they flubbed it. Yeah. They 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 dropped the ball because it's such what what makes it so good is that it's basically just the same shot yeah. over and over again. Same two shots. Yeah. Him getting whacked in the face, then him getting dried off. Yeah. When him and his son go, they don't follow it up with the drying shot. And that's such a <laughs> letdown. Because it's so funny to see that old man yeah. naked there with his giant fire hose penis <laughs> getting blown by these giant fans. And and to see to, to to complete that yeah, the, joke the, with the two of them side by side, naked, being blown by the air. Uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if because there's a lot of sort of like long setup for no payoff in this. I mean, you could look at Janet's arc as a long setup and no payoff. The mm-hmm. running gag of the car wash, long setup, no the porto payoff. scene. The porno is a long yeah. setup, no payoff. Porto. Even even the even the <laughs> I can um, make that joke. <laughs> even the um even the ending of the movie is a long setup for a not so great payoff at yeah. the very end. I wonder if that was an active choice just to fuck with the audience. And if I, it is, it's a little bit mean-spirited, but it also doesn't quite, like, I don't know. I this, don't know. Th- th- this is my guess for why they, they didn't do it. That shot of him getting dried off after being washed is so perfectly framed and perfectly symmetrical. There's e- even so much so that, like, there's these weird circular things that are on the side of the frame that are part of the car wash. Yeah. It's such a beautiful shot that I imagine having the two of them side by side threw off the, the symmetry of it all. Right. And they're like, this doesn't look right. Mm. Let's just leave it out. That's my guess. Okay. Right. Yeah. I, I could see that. Um, I think I want to point out one thing that Baby Dread actually he he pointed this out and I think it's actually a really great Baby one. Baby Dread, write your write your, your dissertation on this film. Because... I, I, I I love these emails, but uh, uh, Baby Dread wanted to point out his favorite subtle joke. Uh, I believe that in the world of this movie, that paper money is the actual currency that is used. Uh, I Initially, I thought this was just trying to fool the blind car wash guy, but he uses the same money with the hot dog vendor. Uh-huh. And I I love that little detail that they have like hand drawn money. Yeah, and for some reason he sticks it in his butt. Like he pulled yeah, it out, yeah, 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 yeah. He pulls it out of his butt, and it's like it's just this little detail. It's not referenced, not not uh, not called out, but it just kind of like points to this idea that that you are living in a cartoon world. What I loved about the paper money is that that's an excellent detail of uh, a world that you created. Yeah. If if this is true, what else is true? Yeah. If you guys have purple turtlenecks that have zippers in the back, yeah, very weird. Thing, yes. Uh, then yeah, of course you would have paper money. Yeah. And I and I think. <laughs> And I think there there's something about the interactions, you know, like especially uh, Hootie Tootie Disco Cutie, you know, like kind of thing where you do feel like this is a movie that was made by toddlers. You know, like it's got that sort of like real like kid sensibility about it. You know, the way people like they don't they don't like they don't ever uh, escalate the interaction. They just repeat the same things over and over and over again. And it kind of has that, like, uh, without the sort of self-awareness of South Park, but it has the kind of, like, structure of a South Park joke where people are just yelling the same things over at each other. Would you say that it's juvenile? (laughs) It's somewhat juvenile. It's cadence of speech, not topic of speech. Like, (laughs) because, like, kids will just say the same thing. Bullshit artists. Like, that's the answer to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then they obviously drop some crazy fucking terrible words in this movie, too, so. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess, you know, like if you look at the ending in that respect where these two characters kind of like fully regress into that into that mode, I guess you could say it there's potentially some reading that is interesting. And and I and I'm glad that it wasn't just like them being on the beach at the sunset, you know, at sunset or something like that. It was actually this sort of like odd shot where they're kind of walking in wilderness with spears. Mm-hmm. It is it is somewhat more Provoking than than just them kind of like fading off into the sunset. Yeah, the end of this movie is where two thousand one starts. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the crotchless sort of disco. The outfit. crotchless. Oh I gosh. didn't. 
I don't know. When he's getting dressed, I either I missed it, <laughs> but I feel like that's like a cowboy shot, and and we don't yeah quite see it. But I didn't notice that until they were at the disco club dancing, and it's a wide shot. And I was like, is his dick out? Is he just dancing well, with his dick here's, out? Here's the weird thing: is that it was tucked to the, his dick was tucked to the side, yeah. Yeah. into that crotch. So I was like, oh, is this part of the design, or was it just kind of because it feels like. The design of this is you want that dick waving around. Yeah, but, yeah. But his dick was tucked in. Is it meant mm. to be like male cleavage? Like it's acceptable because the tip isn't out. Just yeah. like it's acceptable to have boobs out as long as we don't see the nipple. Yeah. So that I thought was the idea behind those pants. But what? Maybe the greasy stranglers are running commentary about the inequalities of society places on women's bodies. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> this movie has no problem showing male nudity. Yeah. Excessive male nudity. And we and we have championed that on this podcast. A hundred percent. We're all yes. about. Male male nudity so yep. have some male nudity uh, return of xander cage you coward uh <laughs> anyway this has been the only podcast about the greasy strangler baby dread we did it all for you we buddy. did it matt thank you so much for coming thank you for having me and guys this has been a delight you have to come back i want to i man i i have so many i have so many more john carpenter type things i want to talk to you about yes, please uh but we should uh, well definitely if we do something uh in that oeuvre but seriously anytime time you are interested in coming back about any uh, any film that you are either pumped about or that you fucking I heard hate. you disagreed with our it review I did I did and and all right so come on uh, cliff notes over, <laughs> cliff notes, cliff, 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 cliff notes version. and the audience can take sides overall listen I haven't read the book so I don't know all the the mm. minutia mm. of of the mythology mm. and whatnot uh, overall I found the second film to be more enjoyable than the first Whoa. personally it also but it, it, to your point about it not being quote-unquote a horror movie I think that's way off base it is definitely a horror movie but it's a blockbuster horror movie it's all about big mm. spectacle the biggest thing that I like while I was listening to the podcast, like was yelling and I was like, no, no, you're That's, wrong. This is why we wanted you on the show. Yes. Uh, the, the uh, collection of the totems yeah. for, for the, the ritual, of Ch- the ritual of Chud. Chud. Uh, you were like, it was pointless. It had nothing to do. There was no reason why they had to do it. It was useless. No, I think the totem um, was specifically there to force the deadlights to manifest themselves in a physical mm. form that they could interact with because there's that whole line about the fact that once they do get the deadlights into the canister and he comes back out, then they're like, oh, shit, uh, you didn't tell us about the third part of the ritual because he'd scratched it off. And that third part of the ritual was they got the deadlights into that and then he came out and they failed. They couldn't defeat him. So I think the, the whole point was was step one, collect your, sto- your totem. Step two, do the ritual of Chud. Step three, now that you've, man- you've forced him to manifest himself, right. take him out. So, so that's where I was like... Oh, excuse me, point of order. <laughs> I do like that my myself in your mind and your father in your mind have the same voice. Uh, uh, I, uh, <laughs> my 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 girl voice and my boy voice, they're they're basically just the same thing. Um listen, that's a that's a that's a really strong argument and a good read for it. I will say, while that it could entirely be true from a narrative perspective. The way the film structured itself and treated those that whole process made it f- still feel perfunctory. Even if the ritual was like that was the actual thing, I I, I, I will I will stand on my hill. I, listen, I, it's not my fault you weren't paying attention. Oh, to no! All right, dude. Now it's your voice. It's a high. I bu- don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I actually completely agree. I I, I agree with Matt. Uh, uh, with Bronny. Which one? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on this one. Um. But but I, I think yeah. I'm 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 sort of like in in the middle camp here, which is that I still don't think it worked. But Wait, I. So but you I see still your point. agree with Matt? 
Yeah, w- which mad it is, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't oh. really matter. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, what? Last thing, uh, last thing. Yeah. Um, it chapter two or Greasy it, 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 it Chapter two. Oh. La- la- last thing. Something that I completely perceive differently than you guys. The big moment with the uh, Yippie Kaye motherfucker with Bill Hader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he gets hit by the deadlights, you thought that was hilarious. I loved it. I thought that was one of the scariest things I've seen all year. Just that really? immediate one frame change of him being like this, and then suddenly he's like a doll. His eyes are white. That scared the shit out of huh. me. Yeah. I legitimately jumped. My wife grabbed me. That was a huge successful scare for me. I, it might have had, I, I wasn't scared. I, I, I went, I audibly, I did, uh, I guess jump would be the term. I was like, oh, oh, and yeah. like, I, I definitely remember smiling huge. Like I had a, I was, I was giddy at that moment, which uh-huh. is not normally how I'm scared. <laughs> so I, I was, yeah. I got an immediate flashback to the face from the ring in the closet when that happened because his oh. face gets distorted in almost the same way. Interesting. Huh. Hit me right, ni- nightmare fuel for the rest of the week when that moment <laughs> happened. All right. Well, good. So, I mean, straight up. I am glad you had the the reactions that you did to this movie because I think I, I loved the first one. The, upon watching it more, I liked it more. Um, and and honestly, hearing uh, your response to number two kind of makes me want to. I I have not wanted to watch it number two again until this very moment. Look, I think what we do on this podcast is we're just trying to get a reaction, bro. We're just trying to get people... <laughs> Fuck! You know, like, just trying to get a rise out of you, you for just, shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, that's why we say half the things we say. <laughs> oh, Austin Powers. Uh, Austin Powers films. Fun fact, Austin Powers as a character doesn't age well. Dr. Evil as a character ages Perfectly. Well, in the time we live in, Dr. Evil feels more relevant than... than yes. Like, what, in the time we live in, <laughs> Austin Powers feels like he would be the bad guy now. And Dr. Evil would be <laughs> well, the good guy. I mean, if, Or Dr. Evil would rule the world. If anything... This is a whole other episode, but if anything, Austin Powers is a more relevant character now than he ever has been because he is a comment yeah. on male behavior and the way that they treat Fair. women. Fair. And also, might I point out, it is my favorite movie of all time, and I have a tattoo of Austin Powers. Holy, Holy shit! That this was completely unplanned, but uh, we got unplanned. there though. Maybe it was a sub. I, I noticed the tattoo, but I didn't quite realize what it. But it's yeah. Completely I have obvious. I have I have tattoos of my two favorite movies right now. So two uh, both. I That's tried to be an aspect I, ratio, right? That is an yeah, aspect yeah. ratio. But it is the aspect ratio of True Lies, and this is the font and color scheme of the text. Fuck of yes, Truly, the True Lies, which is uh, which is my least favorite James Cameron. Movie. Shut up, my least by a long you shot. Shut your mouth. <laughs> all right, so we all right. Future episodes: Austin Powers, <laughs> True Lies. Let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Holy shit! All right, we, we got lots. Of- We've been going too long. Uh, Shakir, when uh, you are not uh, greasing up your own stranglers, where can folks <laughs> find you? I think greasing up my hot dog would have been a better one. Nope, nope, nope not okay. for, no. I get to choose. Okay, uh, you can find me being greasy on my website at shahirdad.com. That's s h a h i r d a u d dot com. Matt, when you are debating the existence of uh, twenty four frames per second, where can people find you? You can find me counting every glorious still frame moving past your brain to trick it into thinking there's actual motion at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works also skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram and p-s-n or emperor msk on twitter also please check out the good works we're doing over on extra credits we are just finishing up our inca empire series on extra history which is super fun and a couple other things the real core loop of video games basically how our brains sort of trick ourselves into into solving video game problems on a micro and a macro level uh matt when you are not blessing us with uh tales of of 
incredibly similarly voiced characters from throughout your history <laughs> when, uh, when backing up your very well thought out claims on films, where can folks find you? Uh, well, first and foremost, you can find me on my website, mattbronsdorf.com. I'll spell it for you. Thank you. B-R-A-U-N-S-D-O-R-F. With and a mat in front of it. With a mat in front of it, two T's. Yeah. Two T's. Of People course. who have one T for mat. Don't trust weird. them. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. Yeah. Uh, and then also you can find me on uh, the gram, the, the Instagram. Yes. Uh, Simply Bronsdorf is my, my handle. Uh, I like to share photos of myself, my dog, but mostly behind the scenes stuff of like when I'm shooting things. Nice. And uh, check out This Week at the Comedy Cellar on Comedy Central. It's a show that I work on. And oh, yeah. it's Fucking awesome. Nice. I think uh, our previous host, Andrew Schultz, has been on that. Yes. Uh, yes, he couple, has. Yeah. Times. Andrew Schultz is... Is a delight. Awesome. <laughs> I have... Yeah. Awesome. So brave. He, yeah, he's a... He is a... He's a hero of He's a warrior. Uh, I do love... I've known him since the guy uh, the guy code days back in the... Nice, so, nice. Uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the comics where when he's on stage, I have to try my best to uh, operate the camera with the lightest of touches because he makes me laugh so much that I don't want to shake the yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did. He was with Rogue One. He came on for Rogue One. Was that? Yeah, it? I believe yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> where he made a very compelling argument about who is the Empire and who is the rebels in uh, in in you know the average Earth society. Nice. Uh, anyway, uh, so next week again, there'll be a movie. I won't be here because I am about to fly out of the country. Oh, that's but, right. And, and I'm very disappointed that I won't be able to see the movie that uh, that we're going to be talking about, which is going to be Ad Astra, the yes. Brad Pitt, James oh, Gray nice. vehicle. Yep. Uh, but I will say this. We've got a little bonus for that episode that I'm very excited about, which is that uh, we had... Uh, this is maybe the first case of this. A roving reporter at a film festival report back to us on films that they saw at that film at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. What? So we're going to have uh, not only a review of Ad, uh, of Ad Astra, we'll be having a ton of reviews of movies that are coming out, very, very short ones. So look out for that episode. I'm very excited about it. I've heard all these reviews, and they're wonderful uh, from a guest that you will have heard before. We'll talk to you later, everybody. Bye. Bye. Adios.